again, Father, first off, I submit to you. I ask you to slow my heart, slow my tongue, slow my mind. Allow me to deliver the message you've asked me to deliver in the way that you want it delivered so that it resonates in people's minds and hearts and souls. In Christ's name, amen. So the title is, Why Are You Thirsty? I'm not sure if I'll get to that title. Sometimes the messages change from the time I put a title down and sometimes they don't, but I hope it does. And this last week, so Jake Wilkinson, Jeff Wilkinson, myself, and Spencer Nickel met. We're the four that are rotating in the pulpit, and we want to thank you first. Thank you for all the support and the prayers and the feedback that you guys are giving us on this um, as we try and and teach and, and lead the congregation from the pulpit, and we thank you for that. And one of the responses we've had is that people would like to see more of a series instead of four just, or each of us just doing our own thing. And so last week, Spencer talked about Jake's sermon a little bit. So this week, I'm going to talk about Jake's and Spencer's sermon. So it's a little bit of a culmination of both Jake and Spencer's sermon. So two weeks ago, Jake talked about the woman at the well and that we should deeply thirst and that we should drink deeply. And so John 4, 13 through 14, I'm not going to do the whole story. I'm assuming most people know about the Samaritan woman at the well. But Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I think that's enough of the story that you need to know that you are thirsting for that eternal water, not just a satiation for a short period of time. And Jake also talked about the doldrums. I've been in a doldrum for a while. And the doldrums is that place along the equator in the ocean where the winds are so calm and there's no current that ships would stall out and people would perish. So sometimes we get to a place in our lives that we stall out. And that's why the title, Why Are You Thirsty?, We're not supposed to be there. We're supposed to be like the deer in in Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Jake also talked about how we need to desire God's plan for our life, not our own desire. We don't want to add God to our lives. We want to be a part of God's plan. Are you looking for it? Do you actually desire it? Or do you feel like you know what's best for you? And then he also talked about his friend Daniel, the one that did a 40-day fast. If you were here, you remember. Um, And he prayed with Jake in the kiddie pool in Grand Junction. He was living intentionally. You know, when we say, oh, I'll pray for you, do you intentionally, right then, right there, no matter where you are, put your hands on somebody and pray with them? Or do you wait till you're in a private place where nobody knows that you've loved the Lord? I would say, Stop what you're doing. It's always most important to live intentionally and do it right there when you know people are in need. And so then last week, Spencer talked about surrender. He referred to the living water and surrender. And his sermon, or his sermon was based on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He also gave the example of Exodus 21 with the bondservant. And we remember a servant served six years faithfully, the seventh year the, ser- the master was supposed to let them go. But if the servant thought his master was fair to him and treated him well, they could become a bondservant. So they became a slave for the rest of their lives on their own accord. They asked to be a slave. So we should be bondservants to the Lord, our master. We should want to be grafted in with him, and we should actually all go out and pierce our right ears if we wanted to follow Scripture to show that we are a part of that and that we want to be here. And then he also made the story, he told the story about how as he gets older, he looks more and more like his father. And I think that's true of all of us. The more mature we are in our faith, the more we look like God, the more we become like Christ. So all of that made me think this week. I'll be honest, I struggled this week. It was Thursday and I was still trying to wrestle where I was going. I was going to teach on Jonah but then I was like, well, I don't really know what my will is or what I want to do, and so I'm running from it. I'm not really running. I'm just confused. So what I decided to do is ask this question. What if you know you need to drink deeply, and you know that you need to surrender, but it just seems you can't do it? Or you just don't want to do it? Anybody ever been there? I would assume all of you. I mean, I've been struggling with this for a long time. Most of you have watched the roller coaster I've been on in the last year. On and off staff three times in one year. I, re- I, I've, I was relieved to find a short article that summarized how I was feeling because I couldn't sum it up in words. And the tug of war that I've been going with when it comes to ministry and life and everything else that's going on. So Brad Hambrick wrote an article called A Counselor Reflects on Mere Christianity. And it was a great question that I've been wrestling with. Am I responding to social pressure, a sense of duty, or a desire to honor God in this action in which I am resistant but feel compelled to do? Okay, so I want you guys to take out pen and paper. We gave you bulletins, I already checked. There's pens in the pew. I want you to write down the three things. When you do something, when you serve at the church or serve God's kingdom or serve others because we're instructed to love each other, out of which of those three do you do it? And you need to have this so you can check it. Do you do it because it's social pressure? Do you do it because you feel like that's the right thing to do because that's what society expects of us? Or do you feel it's your sense of duty. You're doing it just because you have to, not because you want to. Or third, you're doing it because you desire to honor God, even though you don't really want to do it. And so you have to see which of those three you can answer. Sometimes, and I am being completely transparent here, sometimes I find that for me, I do things for others, for the church, and for God under the first two reasons. Sometimes I do it because of social pressure. 
And sometimes I, I do it because it's a sense of duty or it's my job. And it's not about God. It's not about the things that we're supposed to do. But then Hambrecht goes on to say, don't just check the box. But I want to challenge that thinking. I want to challenge that because sometimes we do something out of the first two and we get blessed by the end. We get tricked by the outcome. An example of that is three weeks ago, a friend of mine was here in town. She wanted to come to the church on Friday night and pray. Pray over the church, the congregation, the members, everything about it, the pastoral search, everything. And I was like, I don't want to do it. I do not want to be here. I do not want to do it. But I was the one with the key. So we sat on these steps. And I cried. And I lamented. And I went through all the emotions. And we prayed for over two hours. And I was totally blessed because of it. And she told me, when she saw me, she knew I was in a bad attitude, that I did not want to be here. And she wouldn't let me go. And there was four of us here that just prayed for hours. And the atmosphere even in the building changed when I walked in and when I walked out. <laughs> the atmosphere changed. Because even though I didn't want to do it, I felt like I had to because she wanted to. And she was in the right space. And by the end of it, I was blessed. So I was tricked by the outcome. Another one was even praise band this week. Val kept going, are you singing with us this week? I don't know. I'll show up Thursday night. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so I didn't know if I was going to do it. I just didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like it. So Thursday night, I get here half an hour late. Life's been a little busy. Got here a half an hour late. And all of a sudden, my sermon's written while we're singing. And I'm like, okay, we're good. So I'm like, all right, this is why I'm here. And so I know that some people don't like the adage, fake it till you make it, but sometimes you have to. You just have to. You know, when I do some counselings, actually, I just skipped ahead, so I'm going to go back. So fake it till you make it. But sometimes, you know, we have to look at what's changed. What's changed when our emotions and our, our attitude has changed toward God? Have we changed? Or has God changed? When we're in a dry season, have we changed or has God changed? Back in 1993, I did a sermon based on an old, um, our daily bread. And it was this, the, the article or the devotional talked about this hand pump. If you remember on the old farms or at the churches, you had the hand pump to pull the well water up, right? So they would go out and they would be pumping the water and it would just barely flow out. And it was just barely flowing. And so eventually one of the men said, well, why don't you pull the well out, clean out all the silt, and put it back in? They do that, they put it back in, they pull the well, and the water's flowing faster than ever. So was the water underground any different? It wasn't. It was exactly the same, and that's God. He stays exactly the same. It's our responsibility to make sure that silt doesn't build up, that the flowing water reduces because we put things in our lives that get in the way of our relationship. And that silt can be sin, and it also can be a different idols. It can be our schedules. It can be money. It can be our kids. It can be whatever. We can put a lot of different idols in the way of having that relationship because I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to read the Bible. I'm too busy to sing. I'm too busy to whatever. 
we can always come up with reasons. So one of, the one of the ways that I always help people to start the process of drinking from the well and change their attitude toward wanting to commune with God is to remember what they do when they feel on fire, when they feel that relationship, when they, they are there and they know that God is present in their life. Are they spending that time praying? Are they spending the time in the Word? Are they spending the time with friends even discovering their Christian walks as brothers and sisters together? That's an important part. Isolation is not how we live our, our relationship in, in the Christ lifestyle. We should be together, feeding off of each other, helping each other, so that when crisis does come, we know how to lift each other up at the same time. And are we just even spending any time worshiping? Just worshiping, looking at the sunset, looking at the sunrise, looking at all of the things around us, the fortune that we have in our life, or are we focused on the misfortune in our life? So many times when I'm doing counseling with others, I ask people if they listen to Christian music. Music is a huge thing for me. It's a way that I commune a lot with God. And I ask them if they, are, if they listen to praise music. And if they don't, I'll help them find some music that resonates with them so that they can listen to that even when they don't feel like it. And those that do, have, do listen to it if they have a favorite song. And many times I've listened to the same song dozens to 20 to 30 times in a row just on repeat until I believed it. So just put that song on and keep going until you believe it. Or find that scripture. If your music's not your thing, that's okay. But find that scripture that resonates with you. You know, I'll give you a few. So 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Here's a trustworthy saying. If you died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And then James 1, 2 and 4, and this is trials and temptations, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know how many people here remember Wes Williams. He was a chiropractor here in town many years ago, and they now live in Lake Isabella, California. And they were here this week, and he came by, and we were just talking. And I guess there was a fire close to the they own a resort um, at Lake Isabella, the family-owned resort for years. And there was a fire. And I think it traveled four miles in just under an hour. It was fast. There was 50-mile-an-hour winds blowing in the, in the valley. And he's standing there with his water tanks full, ready to take on this fire. And it's coming right at the resort. And he'd be like, God, please, is there any way you can let this wind just relent for a minute and the winds would pick up? And then he'd be like, God, please, you're not hearing my prayer, please, and the wind would pick up. And he did that over and over, and he finally just said, I have to leave this structure, I'm going to lose our family's uh, resort, I have to go fight this fire at my home. So he goes back up to his home, they fight the fire, they save their house, they, he's already written off the fact that the resort is gone. But what happened is, the fire came up to the resort, and because of the canyon they live in, the winds actually caused an eddy and pushed the fire away from the resort. Okay, it gives him chills every time. It just gave me chills. 
Because we think we know what's best for our lives and we think we know that God's missing it when he really has it. He knew that the wind was going to be what was going to cause that to part. It literally parted and went around the resort and they lost no structures. So he prayed, but his prayer seemed like it hadn't been answered when it really had. And so we have to remember that in those trials and temptations. It's because we don't really understand it. We don't know. And then in Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all, all understanding, will guide your, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41, 10, So do not, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then Romans 8.28, which all of us probably know um, or are very familiar with. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So there's some scripture. There's a lot more, obviously. It's a pretty large book. So there's a lot more that you can find on your own, or you can ask for help, and we'll find more that you can put on your mirror, on your dashboard, wherever you, in your wallet, wherever you need it, so you have access to it at any time when you feel like you need to be in communion with God. And so, also, Mark Batterson is another example I'm going to use his book, If. There's a story called This is Good, and it's an African folktale. There's an old African folktale about a king and his friend who grew up together and did everything together. The king's friend had a saying, in every circumstance, he would say, this is good. One day, the king and his friend were out hunting. The friend loaded the fire in for the king, who fired it, but it exploded, blowing off the king's thumb. As was his habit, the friend said, this is good. To which the king replied, this is not good, and had his friend thrown in prison. A year later, the king was out hunting without his friend when he, had been, he was captured by cannibals. The king was taken back to the village and tied at the stake. He thought to himself, this is not good. But just before lighting the fire, one of the cannibals noticed that the king's thumb was missing. According to tribal t- tradition, they would never eat any, anyone who wasn't whole, so they untied the king and let him go. When the king realized that his missing thumb was that, is what spared his life, he immediately thought of his best friend who he had sent to prison. He said to his friend, You are right. It is good that my thumb was blown off. I'm sorry for sending you to jail. This is not good. To which his friend said, No, this is good. The king still didn't understand. What do you mean, this is good? I sent my best friend to jail for a year. The friend insisted, This is good. If I hadn't been in jail, I would have been with you, and my thumb's not missing. So, <laughs> again, we return to good. And the, so Romans 8.28, this is talking about, we interpret that a lot of times as immediate good. Right now. The good will be right now. Not so in this story. So Mark Batterson goes on to talk about immediate good versus ultimate good. And we need to have our focus on ultimate good. Because what might be bad in our lives might cause the ripple of good somewhere else. 
And that's what gives you reassurance when you're in those times of trials and temptation that what is happening in your life is either strengthening you or for a purpose bigger than you can even imagine. And then that's where you find your comfort knowing God is God. So our closing hymn today is Here I Am, Lord. It's a sending song. You're offering yourself to go out and to be with the Lord. So before we sing that, I want you to check your heart for the three reasons we talked about earlier. Are you singing this song out of social pressure? Maybe you're not singing the song out of social pressure too. But make a joyful noise, okay? <laughs> it's joyful to his ears no matter how it is, so sing it, okay? Are you doing it out of a sense of duty? Because I'm telling you, you're supposed to sing this song. Or are you doing it to desire to honor God? So please, let's stand and sing uh, the song today.
All right, who's on the prayer team this week? Anybody? I guess me. They're with the ushers. They're out and having coffee. <laughs> so um, anybody who needs prayer, if anybody from the prayer team is here, um, come forward. Um, that would be great. Um, that would be awesome. Let's go ahead and form a, a rectangle so we can share our joys with each other today. I only do this on these Sundays when we have enough people. Oh, 